This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com. I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim365 writer, radio host, joined by Grayson Grundhafer, director of broadcasting, also team and recruiting reporter for you guests at Sikkim365. Got a full cast and crew behind the scenes as well, uh, making this sound and look good. And hopefully you've had a good week. We're now a few days into Baylor fall camp. And we've seen the Bears now out on the practice fields for the past week. We've seen some polls come out. We've seen some more realignment talk. We're not going to touch on that, even though there is a lot of smoke coming out of the network part of college football discussion these days about what may or may not be happening with the Big Ten deal and how that affects the Big 12 and the Pac-12. But we're not going to touch on that because there's not enough clarity right now on what exactly is going on. But... Best believe that will remain a topic on the radio show and probably on this podcast again in the future. But for today, uh, we're going to talk Baylor football because that's what we can sink our teeth into and what we do have some facts on. And Grayson, uh, fall camp's underway. Season's, uh, what, about three weeks away now at this point. And uh, it's been cool to see people out there doing their thing, uh, whether it be coaches, players, or even staff. And uh, it is a hot one. Was out there for like 30 minutes yesterday and uh, needed to change shirts afterwards. Uh, Just standing there, much less watching those guys do uh, their thing up and down those fields. But uh, it's been good to have football back. Yeah, and I mean, I'll be out there again today. And that's always fun, you know, to go out there and actually watch practice and get an opportunity to kind of see what the team's working on and also get to see some of the new guys out there competing um, in some Baylor gear for the first time. So it's an exciting time. I'm ready for the season to start. I think, you know, there's a lot of question marks that are still left to be uh, answered, but I think right now we're at a good point. I think everything that we've seen so far has kind of just been business as usual uh, as far as on the Baylor end. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, It's been just a group of folks who know what they're doing and how they're doing it and there's not a bunch of newness to have to get used to and there's not a bunch of figuring out where everybody's supposed to be and I think the only example I've seen of a couple of media sessions now that I've been to uh, was Josh White on his first day needed some to the side or basically inside of a drill needed everybody to kind of stop down so he could get some pointers on what they were doing and like outside of that I think everybody else is pretty much just boom, 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 like they know what they're doing, but he's still kind of getting his grips on things. And so they had to stop for just a moment and like, no, this is how you do this. And he got it, and then they moved on. But like outside of that one moment, uh, I haven't seen them have to really do that at all. So point being that, yeah, they're just going about like it's a well-oiled machine at this point. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, there's a couple instances of young guys. So like Jordan Neighbors and Kyan Roberts Day in particular, you know, they're doing punt return drills and Neighbors was struggling, um, you know, catching the punt. And then Juice is talking to him like, hey, here's how you do it. Here's, you know, here's how to get better at that. So I think they're still learning, you know, Kyan as well at running back. He's still getting his bearings going through these different drills I know uh he slipped and fell once he hit the uh you know the thing you're supposed to go under 
the uh, square thing in the running backs drill. So he hit that once. But again, I mean, this is a time for those guys who just enrolled to learn. I mean, they weren't here for the fall. Um, I mean, for the spring. So a great opportunity. And I think we're seeing the young guys grow every single day. So we're going to talk about a few of them. But uh, in general, like you said, this is, I think, a good spot for Baylor to be in. And everyone seems to have a lot of confidence, a lot of energy, which I think is what you're looking for to start the year. So uh, I don't even remember. I got distracted here. Where did we say we we're going to start off here? Coaches poll. All right, let's there? get into the coaches poll um, that was released yesterday. And uh, always interesting to see these polls out. Uh, I don't know why we really care about the coaches poll at the start of the year, and we're going to find out why in just a second uh, because uh, the coaches aren't voting on this, for one. Uh, if they are, it's few and far between. This is some, like, trainer or student assistant, I think, are filling these out at this early stage of the, of the season. And we know during the season it's not always the head coaches as well, but the coaches poll is uh, of note. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, and Notre Dame are your top five. Uh, that is, again, Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame, your top five. Uh, you've got Michigan, A&M, Utah, Oklahoma, and Baylor in that second group, which I guess is where our focus will be. Uh, the Bears at number 10, second highest ranked Big 12 team behind the Sooners, who are just one spot in front of them, and then Oklahoma State, one spot behind them. So the Big 12 race, which you could very well say would be Oklahoma, Baylor, Oklahoma State, 9, 10, 11 in the coaches poll. Yeah, and that's how I've kind of set my expectations since the beginning of the year. Those are the three schools that I think are the best in the Big 12. I think two of those three will be in the Big 12 championship. I think all three will be around that 9, 10, maybe a little bit more mark. And I think they deserve that ranking. This is a great spot for Baylor. I do think they should be ranked ahead of Oklahoma at this moment. Um, but I also understand it, you know, it, you know, nine versus 10 doesn't really matter. You're, you're right there next to each other. I think, you know, it's pretty interesting if you, you know, scroll down, which I know we're going to talk about, there's 66 coaches who vote of the top three, 65 of those votes of those 66 votes, they went to Alabama, Ohio state, Georgia, you know, where the other vote went. How about to Texas at number 18? Who the heck voted for Texas to be the number one team in the nation? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Um, but Texas made the top you know, 25 as well, and they're the last Big 12 team that actually made the cut this go-around. Yeah, I don't know who voted them. Uh, I saw some people say that perhaps it was Nick Saban because they play them early on. Uh, perhaps it was Jeff Trailer, you know, because they play them early on just to kind of add some psychological element to it of, you know, putting it in their heads that they're a first-place team. And I also saw people, however, trying to, like, bag on Texas for that. It's not their fault. Right. Like They can't vote for Not themselves. like C. Yeah. Sarkeesian's like, I'm going to vote us number one so we can get laughed at by the entire country because I'll be the only one doing this. So, uh, yeah, maybe it was a psychological ploy by somebody else, or maybe, again, it's, like, some first-year trainer who's like, hey, fill this out, and he just, you know, filled in Texas. I, I don't know. I, I don't know uh, that they don't deserve to be – you know, in the top 25, but certainly not the first place vote. That's just ridiculous. They can be in the top 25. Sure, that's fine. But a first place vote? No, that's got to go to one of those top three teams, in my opinion, at this moment in the season, at least. I will also say, you know, I think that Kansas State probably has something to gripe about as well. You know, as far as Texas being 18th and then Kansas State is way down the list of others receiving votes. They only got four votes. They're behind Boise State, Appalachian State, Utah State, Air Force, Fresno State. I mean, come on. 
I, I think that's pretty ridiculous. I think Kansas State's going to be pretty good this year, and they probably have a small gripe for not being maybe in the top 25 or at least getting more votes than they got. Yeah, I think there was a couple of others. I mean, BYU deserves to be in this poll. Um, yeah, I think so, I too. think to not have them is just, I don't know, some smart people would probably try to pass that off as, oh, well, they play Baylor early and want to see that game first, but nobody's that smart when they're thinking about this poll, and that's not how you do it anyways. Uh, you don't do it to set up something. It's just you vote to the top 25 best teams. That's what you're supposed to do. So I don't think everybody did that in this exercise, but what else is new? They don't always do that in this top 25 because I don't know how many people who have votes really could fill out a top 25 without having to do some research. And most people would have to do research. I'm not begging on that, but I mean, like would really have to think hard to figure out like beyond five teams where everybody else is supposed to go right and most of those people don't (laughs) don't do the research so you're just kind of throwing together this list and I mean that's why I think there's some teams on here who probably shouldn't be on here Um, and then there's other teams who probably should be based on what they did a year ago and what they return and just kind of their roster and they're not and so I found that to be rather interesting again I know these polls don't matter in the long run um but I do think that there is something to be said when you're looking at some teams who I think most people would widely consider that team to be ranked, and they're not. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, I did find it interesting, though, four Big 12 teams inside the top 18. That's pretty good. Um, two inside the top 10. So I think as far as the Big 12 goes, pretty good spot, honestly, to make some noise, uh, even though the Texas one is probably a little questionable. Yep, so again, Oklahoma at 9, uh, Baylor 10, Oklahoma State 11, Texas at 18, and then you've even got Cincinnati at 22 and Houston at 25. So even if you took Oklahoma and Texas out, you'd still have the same amount of Big 12 teams uh, in theory. But that is nice that the SEC will get that automatic top 25 from Oklahoma and Texas every single yeah. year because we know that no matter what one of them does, they still end up in the top 25 every single time, no matter what, which is – Amazing how that happens. But, yeah, um, it's like that. And that's why, dude, I kind of roll my eyes with this thing because I see that happen every single year, and Mm -hmm. I'm just like, okay, we're going to do this again? It's just, you know, it's the same thing. But it is of interest that Baylor's at 10. I think that's a a nice spot for them. I I don't think that they necessarily should be getting top five votes right out of the gates, and I don't think they should be, like, 20 and below either. I think they're a very firm – top 15 type team in the country right now on paper and that's you know where they find themselves so I think that's fair and I definitely think that they're right you know arguably right there with the two Oklahoma schools so that seems about right yeah I think if I'm looking at this I don't think there's anyone below them that I could talk myself into ranking higher than Baylor and then when I look above there are a few schools I'm like I think Baylor might be better than them I mean A&M A&M I think Oklahoma and honestly, I think Utah as well. I know Utah's everyone's darling this year, and everyone's talking about them winning, you know, the national championship and going to the college football playoff and just being like some juggernaut. I mean, Utah's got to go to Florida week one, and I don't know if they're winning that game. And so while I like Utah, what they bring back, they're a good team. I, I don't know that they're they're great. I mean, BYU beat the brakes off them last year, and I know it was before they got rolling, quote-unquote rolling, but still. Oh, I, they I, did get rolling, though. Like they they were... did. They did get rolling. Don't get me wrong, but, like, I, I don't see them and go, man, that's a – that's a top five squad that Baylor wouldn't be able to hang on the field with. I think Baylor's probably better than them. And then A&M, 
that's an interesting one as well, like you said. So I could probably talk myself into that. Once I go higher than that, I think that's probably a different tier at this point. Yeah, I think like Utah being two spots ahead is just splitting hairs. I mean, it's basically the same thing, eight and ten, I mean, in a preseason sure. poll. So, I, I'm yeah, I think Utah is really good. Uh, Tavion Thomas is a ridiculous running back who was scoring like six touchdowns a game by the end of the year. I mean, he was going the hell off uh, once they replaced Charlie Brewer with Cam Rising, and Rising started really balling as well. So they've got a definite – case to be made uh, coming off of what they did and having Thomas back and having rising back and having some of those other guys back so that would be a great game Utah and Baylor I, yeah I don't think they're better than Baylor but I think you know somebody's got to go in front of somebody else so that's that's pretty fair but yeah beyond that I don't see anybody that should be above them uh, Baylor that is and um, yeah definitely think they could go hang with AM. think they could hang with Utah and Oklahoma and you know then gets into you know, different territory when you're talking right. about the Ohio States and Georgias and, and those teams. But yeah, I could probably hang with, you know, Michigan or Notre Dame or whoever. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool that we're sitting here and going, they could hang with these teams. You know, I mean, I, I think I look at this list and I go, they could hang with a lot of these teams this year. And, you know, whether they beat them or not, that's totally up in the air. And whether Baylor goes, you know, 11 and 1, because I'm saying that isn't really the case that I'm saying. It's more on any given Saturday, I think Baylor could hang with most of these teams. Now, again, that doesn't doesn't mean they're going to go 11 and one and beat every team on their schedule. It's more about the talent level that Baylor has, the depth that they have. Um, and I think it just speaks to the depth of the roster and the talent they've been able to assemble. So good for them. Top 10 team. Um, and like you said, pretty good spot to be top 10 in any poll. I think is is pretty good. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, so let's get into a couple of other notes uh, when it comes to Baylor football and the fact that practice has kicked off. I got polls behind us now, or at least one of them behind us. Got media days behind us. Got a lot of the, a lot of the build up behind us, which, quite frankly, I'm just I'm almost exhausted with at this yeah. point. I just I want to see football so badly. <laughs> um, I'm just so tired of the talk, uh, even though that's what I do for a large portion of, of my daily life. Um, I enjoy it, but, you know, I also at some point just want to talk about what I've seen and not what I've read or heard. And uh, we're almost there, uh, but there are still a few things going on that is just kind of talk at this point. And one of the uh, big talking points for this Baylor football team has been their success uh, in recruiting uh, throughout this 2023 class. And that continued on as they've added yet another piece this week to their 2023 class up to 24 commitments now. Uh, in the 2023 group and the latest another uh, local product uh, so to speak from down the road in Colleen Brandon Bett uh, the clean offensive uh, clean Ellison uh, defensive lineman uh, the latest to pledge to Baylor uh, did so just a couple of days ago and he is commit number 24 so this one I know has been expected for a while uh, they're bolstering the D-line, but I mean, at, at this point, 24, they bolstered pretty much everything uh, on this roster that they've needed to so far, but I'm sure, Grayson, there's still more to do, but let's uh, get into Brendan Bett and what he brings to this roster. Yeah, I mean, so just uh, kind of looking on the outside, since June 11th, how many commits do you think Baylor's landed now? Oh, like what 12? Yeah, 16. Okay, yeah. Bet becomes commit number 16 in less than two months. Just really impressive what they've done all summer long. Uh, Bet comes in, another big body on the defensive line, and that's kind of what they're looking for. He's right around that 6'4 mark, right around there, 6'4", 6'5", and he's got a massive frame. 
Uh, I know I've heard some rumors that he's around 290 now. Um, I thought he was probably somewhere around 280 by the time, you know, summer had ended. But 290, if he's really already there and he's 6'4", I mean, he's a guy who already has the body, already has the makeup to be a college uh, defensive lineman. I think he's got some positional versatility as well. I kind of view him as playing Gabe Hall role in Baylor's defense or potentially, I know some have mentioned this, a nose tackle as well. He does have a very thick frame, so maybe there's an opportunity there as well. I know Colorado, SMU, Texas Tech recruited him pretty hard, but at the end of the day, Baylor was his leader ever since he took his official visit. This is one I felt really good about all the way back in mid-June. It just took him a little while. He wanted to take a few more visits. He wanted to take his time a little bit, um, and honestly, he almost took too much time uh, because Baylor really was has been trying to figure out what they're going to do with their last few spots, and uh, they really wanted him to get in, but it's just been so long. It almost been you know a month and a half since he uh, kind of basically had already made his decision, and then he just kept waiting and waiting. So I'm glad it finally happened. Good for Brendan. Good for Baylor to add another Central Texas product. He fits in really well with what they need on the defensive line, and he pretty much has solidified uh, that position now for Baylor in this class. You know, if they find a best available, maybe they'll take one up front. But at the end of the day, they, they got the pieces they want on the defensive line to where they don't need to feel any more pressure about adding any guys up front. Yeah, and uh, we had the media session yesterday. I'll have a piece out at some point um, on the defensive line and just the depth that they have and uh, what they've accrued there uh, over time. It's uh, pretty impressive to see. And the offensive line as well, if you see Caden Siraki out there or uh, Alvin Ebicelli, and you realize those are like two of their youngest offensive linemen, and yet they're the biggest dudes out there. And then you look at uh, you know the defensive line, and there's Apu and those guys, but you start to see some of the youngins that are Trey out there Emery. as well, like yeah. Trey Emery. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty amazing what they're what they're building uh, or what Dave Aranda's got going on. And, of course, there's going to be changes and fluctuations to have to deal with. You know, he's not going to be able to keep his coaching staff intact for the next 20 years, which would be nice. But, man, alive. Uh, they've got – they just I tried to say this on the radio yesterday and didn't know how else to explain it. And plus, we have like kind of a semi-national audience at times, and so they're not going to quite understand it. But it's and I'm almost hesitant to say it because it brings back bad memories, and that's not the intention. But this is feeling like it did before all hell broke loose. Basically, if you remember where the program was and how high they were flying before all of a sudden shoes dropped everywhere and there was a scandal and, uh, you know, everything just went haywire. If you can somehow remember all those years ago to what they felt like when they had Cam Martin and Kellen Mond and all those guys committed and they had just come off the Russell Athletic Bowl win, which was impressive, and you just knew, like, they were they're going to be in contention every single year. Every single year they're going to be vying for a Big 12 championship the recruiting had started to improve, and like there just really wasn't anything in their way. The only difference was is they hadn't won a bowl game like Dave Aranda's already won, and you know then followed the, and, and had that follow a Big Twelve title, and they didn't have to win a championship game because there was no championship game, and so Aranda's already done that. He's already done the bowl game part, and I know that's probably going to have people clutching pearls because they're like, oh god, that means something bad's going to happen. Yeah. Which is why I'm even hesitant to say anything, but I don't believe in that. Screw that. They've got a good thing going on, and it needs to be talked about that they're they're where they were, if not beyond where they were. And that's exciting because here is this season that could, yeah, very well be far more difficult schedule-wise, but 
so what? They got a really good program rolling into this year. Yeah, and I, I truthfully think it's more sustainable. I mean, that's fair. I'm just saying, like, let's. The, it's where it was. For sure. Yeah. I just, just to me, from the just my opinion on, it, I think it's more sustainable because they're recruiting on the defensive line and offensive line at a just ridiculous level. You know, Art and that staff, they did a great job recruiting, but it was more so receivers, skill positions, which is great. That's awesome. But in today's day and age of college football, if you can't win up front, you're going to run into some issues. You're going to have some seasons where things don't go your way and you're unable to compensate for those things. And we saw it, you know, late in the game against, you know, Michigan State. Mm -hmm. You know, the offense kind of fizzled out because they couldn't run the football. And when they couldn't run the football, Michigan State kept getting the ball back and kept scoring. And so I think this is a system that's very, very sustainable. They're building on both lines. And you're going to start to see the talent and skill positions come in eventually. But I'm not worried about it because in the state of Texas, you can walk a mile and you'll find a really good receiver in the state of Texas. It's all about the big guys. And Baylor's doing an incredible job of recruiting massive defensive linemen who fit their scheme and massive offensive linemen who can move well enough to play in the wide zone scheme as well. So I'm very impressed. They have a great thing going. Um, and it just got even better today. I wanted to bring out a little report from that I posted on the website today. Um, Texas A&M cornerback Bravion Rogers, he decommitted um, mm. today. Or last night, I guess, late at night. It was like 11 p.m. And uh, Bra- check, check bounced. Yeah, I'm I guess I guess so. Kidding. Yeah, no. So it's all fair. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, who cares? So um, he goes to Lagrange, uh, same school as Jaron Woods, who's committed to Baylor. Um, a lot of speculation is that Bravion's going to go to LSU. Um, I understand that they probably have the most momentum right now, uh, but Baylor is squarely in on him. He's a top fifty consensus prospect in the entire nation. Uh, my expectation is that he's going to take an official visit this fall, um, or at least an unofficial visit, maybe take an official at the end of the season. Um, but he would be the fourth highest rated commit slash sliny. I know we're a ways out from that. He's not committed or anything, but that's the kind of level prospect that he is. A very good cornerback, a guy who could potentially start day one for Baylor. So a guy to definitely keep an eye on and one that would be extremely intriguing. And it kind of all goes back to the point that I made in previous episodes. You know, when we talk about what Baylor's trying to do to finish their recruiting class, a lot of it is going to be swinging for the fences, trying to hit home runs with their last couple spots. And Bravion Rogers was a name that um, decided to open up his commitment, and now Baylor is going to do everything they can to try to land him and try to get him on campus. And you want to talk about a difference maker, he absolutely would be that. He'd be a game changer for this recruiting class. And outside of Austin Novosad, if they were able to land him, uh, I think he could bring the most talent to the table that they've had at the cornerback position in a really long time. It's very impressive, and we'll see what happens. But I thought I'd get everyone that name on the radar at least. No, I mean, yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that. That's obviously uh, a big note, and uh, that would be big for them. I was just looking to kind of see where their class ranks. And, man, A&M, I didn't realize how few commits they have. They have only nine commits now with that decommitment. I was looking at the the composite rankings, and A&M's at like 46. Um, Mm -hmm. But obviously it's because one site just weighs the number of commits. uh, And I don't know how accurate that makes everything in the long run, but uh, that's why A&M is so low. Uh, Baylor, meanwhile, is at uh, 16. So they've fallen a little bit from the last time. Yeah, Yeah. they were 
they were 14, I think, when we talked last. Who's been surging? Is that LSU or something? Or Yeah, I think that there's been a couple that Arkansas, just fluctuated. Oregon, right? yeah, yeah. They're all kind of in that same vicinity. There's Cincy. Look at them with the top 20 class right now. Good for Impressive. them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a team that really can come in and, like, stabilize the conference and be who they've been. I mean, there's there's only going to be more out there for them, not less. We're going to so. find out a lot about them, I think, this year because they lose Ritter. So, we'll, you know what I mean? Like, I think we'll find out how – I mean, it's sustainable, but I mean – like, They've is been sustainable it, for multiple coaches They now. have, but I'm just kind of looking at more so of, like, are they going to build off of a college football playoff and return and be, you know, 11-1 and this year? Or are they going to be more, you know, like nine and three, ten and two? There's a big difference when you're playing in the American between eleven and one, twelve and zero, or you know, ten and two, nine and three. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just think that they've gone through enough coaches now. They're kind of like Baylor in that regard, where you you know you're like, oh well, they're done now because that guy left, and it's like, no, they're just going to find another guy, and like you know, oh, they'll never have a guy as good as Brian Kelly. They'll never have a guy, you know. It's like, okay, yeah. here's Luke Fickle. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, of course, there's always concern over how long he'll be around or whatever. But as long as he's around, they're going to be good. And uh, yeah, I agree that we need to see what they're going to do. But they just got to the college football playoff, and now they've got a top twenty class potentially. I mean, everything's going up for for Cincinnati. Um, in my opinion, and, and that bodes well for the Big 12. But sure. uh, still a lot more to, to figure out, of course. So, um, yeah, looking at number 10 in the coaches poll, Brendan Bett now committed as well. So 24 commits. And uh, a little bit of injury news as well uh, on the offensive line. Uh, Khalil Keith not going to be available for the start of the season. Uh, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, so Cole put out a report today on Sikkim 365 Premium. So if you are a subscriber, you would know about this already. Um, he will be out for the first month, uh, potentially. So we'll see how everything goes, um, how his recovery goes, what his timeline will actually be. But right now, he's just expected those first few games that he's going to miss. Good news is for Baylor on this end, um, their first three games, Albany, BYU, Texas State, all do not have very intimidating defensive lines. Uh, all three of them ranked in the bottom, I think bottom 20 in the country in sacks last year. So again, pass protection should be fine. Cleo Keith is an absolute uh, road grinder though in the run game. So there could be a step back there. But the good news is, is at Big 12 Media Days, Dave Aranda mentioned Elijah Ellis as a guy who's going to play a big role early on in the season. And now that's coming to fruition. I think Elijah Ellis will probably be the starter at right tackle. Um, they're still solidifying the guard spot with, you know, Micah Mescua or Moe Jeffrey. So still something to be figured out there. But I think Ellis could slide in pretty quickly to the tackle spot and potentially be the starter for the first few games until Keith comes back. But again, overall, because of the way their schedule lays out, I know going to Provo is daunting. But as far as the offensive line versus defensive line matchup, it's not one of the most daunting on the schedule. Matter of fact, the Iowa State game the next week or two weeks from then is far more scary uh, up front wise, at least comparatively. So I think they're going to be fine. They got more depth up there. Gavin Byers, Tate Williams are guys who could step up into that role as well. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see. But it is a big injury, no doubt. They're going to need him if they want to reach their ceiling of making, you know, winning a Big 12 championship or making it to the college football playoff. They will need him. He's very, very good. Yeah, that's a bummer because uh, he's a guy that I know they're excited about or seem to be excited about, you know, as far as the, the returning strength that they have. So, yeah, that's uh, not great news. But uh, obviously you're not going to necessarily have a perfect, flawless health card uh, throughout camp and everything, you know, year round. So 
Uh, good to, I guess, if something's going to happen, get it out early in the year and then hopefully get back. But, uh, yeah, there's a little update on Khalil Keith. So um, how many? How long do you say he'd probably be out? Probably the first month probably is first what, month is what so. the report is. So, again, uh, they got four games in that first month of the year uh, with uh, Albany, BYU, Texas State, and then Iowa State is the last game. You hope that he's back for that October 1st matchup against Oklahoma State, but that's to be determined, it looks like. All right, so uh, elsewhere, before we get into the mailbag this week, uh, just, I guess, thoughts on camp, Grayson. I know you wanted to touch on some things. Uh, I've been out there for a couple of those uh, open sessions, and, you know, as uh, we've explained in the past, and I guess as Travis has explained to some of you uh, as of late, uh, it's not like we are sitting in the stands in the AC with a pad and pen and watching and taking notes with a full view of everything. We are sequestered to, like, certain corners of the field, that may or may not have a view of, like, most of what's going on uh, or may or may not allow us to see, like, two position groups the entire time, really, versus, you know, walking around to every corner of the field. And, look, we get great access. I'm not going to complain about – I'm not complaining about the access we get. But it's just people have to realize when they start throwing questions galore about practice stuff, it's like – we don't. It's not the Cowboys training camp where we're out there the entire time sitting against the fence with with pads. Like I said, uh, we're there, like trying to look through. Like I couldn't even see my phone screen yesterday because it was so bright, and then it started to overheat. Yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't even tweet anything. It was wild. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I was still enjoying it. So we try to pick up what we can, and I know that. You've passed off notes, and Travis has passed off notes, and um, I've tried to clear air here and there where I, where I can on the show and whatnot, but uh, what do you kind of want to throw out there in terms of what you've seen through this first week? Yeah, I think the first thing that we need to talk about is just the kind of moves that have been made, right? So Al Walcott, at least the first day, was working only with the safeties, was not working with cornerbacks anymore, which kind of feeds into that report that Sam Kahn had back in The Athletic during the summer talking, or during the spring talking about, uh, I guess it was summer, talking about how Al Walcott had been utilized at the star position a little bit in the summer. So he had reported that uh, based on a conversation with Ron Roberts. And as we're seeing, that has kind of come true. It looks like he's going to be uh, working on the star position, uh, so working with the safeties. And then that coincided with the move of Lorando Johnson to cornerback. Um, so those two, that's what they've been kind of filling in at. Very intrigued by it. I think Al is a tremendous player. He's put on a lot of weight. I think it's been 13 pounds since last year. So he's clearly been getting ready for a role where he's probably going to have to make more tackles, plays in the box, um, and things like that. So it's kind of perfect for the star position. He's going to give Baylor a bigger Jalen Petrie if he does lock into that role. As far as Lorando goes, you know, he came in as a cornerback. That's what he was recruited. It, it's kind of funny because Al was recruited as a safety and Lorando was recruited as a cornerback, and then they flipped when they first arrived, and now they're flipping back. So I think that's a very interesting parallel. I know a lot of people thought, you know, Lorando's not going to be able to play cornerback because he's too slow is what a lot of people thought, or he's, his hips aren't great enough to play cornerback. We're going to find out. You know, I was always kind of under the impression his length and his straight line speed could kind of make up for that. So we're going to see if he can actually do that. They have a talented group, but they're young. So Lorando's probably going to have to go in and play a role immediately, which is what I'm expecting. I'm expecting Al to start at star, and then that moves one guy, and that one guy's Christian Morgan. What's he going to play? And that's kind of been a big question because all through spring, it was Devin Lemire, Devin Neal, Christian Morgan were the safeties, 
and now Christian is kind of looking like he's might be bouncing around a little bit from positions, maybe being the backup star and the backup boundary, or maybe he just slides in and starts at boundary. And then maybe Devin Neal plays field safety. Um, but who knows? That's going to be up in the air and up for competition. But I think it's very intriguing to see how that move has kind of affected multiple uh, guys on the roster. And I think that was probably the biggest storyline of the week. Yeah, uh, that's certainly of interest. And Christian Morgan at this point, uh, you know, he's been around the block. Uh, he's He's been in the wars and he's been around for a while now. All his buddies are in the NFL uh, pretty much. And he's one of those, not that they're making it to be at like a rule thing, but he is one of their like three single digit guys that they have remaining from the past couple of years. So, um I don't that's, that's interesting. Kind of getting lost in the shuffle a little bit, perhaps, yeah. uh, in some ways. I think so, too. And, and the problem with Christian is, and we saw it last year, he's much better the closer he gets to the line. And Baylor's weakest spot, I mean, weakest spot as far as the one that people have most concerns about, I think, is field safety. They, um, they're not really worried about the line right now. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. for sure not. Yeah. But, it, but it's more like he was not great in space. No, that's what I'm saying is they don't really, they don't need him on the line. Yeah. um, Because they got a line, (laughs) got a really good line. Right. So you need more playmaking and that's where Al Walcott comes in. And so, but then it's like, where does Christian play? And so that's kind of what people are going to, what the staff's going to have to try to figure out. Um, Moving on to the next position, the will linebacker spot is going to be probably, maybe not the most, but it might be the most hotly contested battle. We're going to see all fall. Um, I just think it, it's a war. I mean, you're talking about Matt Jones, Will Williams, and Josh White. And these three are all very good, and they're all so different. Like, their frames. I mean, Josh White looks like a tank. I mean, an absolute unit out there. Six foot, 230. Um, runs really well. Good feet. I think he's going to play. Uh, Matt Jones, the experience, the guy that's been there for a long time, looks like he's the starter as of right now. And then you have Will Williams, who looks like a star. You know, he's like six foot two, fifteen, two twenty. Like he looks like he's not really a Will, but that's where they're playing him. And so I could see him getting on the field in different packages as well. Uh, but overall, three really good players at the Will position that make me very confident that Baylor's going to find a way to replace Terrell Bernard. Um, so now it's all about complimenting Dylan Doyle who compliments Dylan Doyle the best, I think is going to be the guy that should start by the end of the year. Yeah, good uh, to have depth. Good to have depth and good to have those types of questions because uh, they're not questions of, like, who can possibly feel – it's like who will just play and then how are they going to fit the other guys in. That's that's what's nice to be talking about rather than probably what we've been talking about for the last four or five years, honestly, because nothing's ever been as set up as well as it is right now. Right. Uh, kind of what we were saying earlier is that – Oh, yeah, you don't have a spot for Christian Morgan. It's not that you can't find a spot to play him or what. It's like you just don't have a spot for him. Or, oh, my gosh, we don't have an outside linebacker. It's like, no, you've got like three or four. It's just yeah. you got to figure out who's going to fit in and, or, you know, the will linebacker or whatever spot you want to mention, quite frankly. I mean, even quarterback, they've been able to bolster the depth uh, with Luke Anthony. You know, that was a move that kind of was like, huh? And then you look up now and you're like, thank God that they did that. But yeah. – There are certainly spots where you don't know exactly what to expect, like wide receiver, but everywhere you look, there's depth. Like, that's for sure. Yeah, and wide receiver is kind of what I was going to talk about. I haven't gotten a feel for the wide receiver position this week, hardly at all. I mean, I've gotten to see them. I think it's great that Hal Presley's healthy. I still have a lot of faith in him. Just based on what I've seen, he physically looks like a guy that can absolutely hang in this league, and I think he's going to be a guy who plays a big role. 
for this team. It was encouraging to see Jalen Ellis without a yellow jersey on. That was really nice mm-hmm. to see. No guys in that group with the yellow jersey on is very fun. The only one that I saw Jonah. yesterday, huh? Was it Jonah? Jonah Burton? Did I miss on him? Uh, no, I think it was Jacoby Clark. Oh, Jacoby. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That so. was the only one that I noticed yesterday. Right. So, yeah, that, that's kind of where it's at right now um, at that position. And so I, I think they're healthy, and that's all you can ask for. So it's going to be a fair competition. But I don't have a feel for kind of where I'm going one way or another outside of the ones we talked about, which is Monterey is going to start in the slot, and Josh Cameron's going to be in the 2D. Outside of that, it's kind of like I think this guy's going to be that, but I don't know for sure based off what we've seen so far in practices. Yeah, I mean, they've got depth there, but it's very young depth. And so if there was a spot that you, you know, like I don't think that they're thin really anywhere that you look that you get super concerned about. But if you look at like experience, then wide receiver is right top of mind going, okay, like, yeah, they've got players there and they've got athletes there and they've got some dudes who could turn out to be studs by the end of the year. But will they? You know, and, and I don't know that. And and running back's not quite that question because I think we know a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But it's still a little bit of a question mark, too. Like, it really is because, I mean, yeah, sure, Squirrel's great. But, again, how long have we seen him actually play and, and last out there? And Tate McWilliams looks the part, but how much have we really seen him play outside of the beginning of last year? And, you know, the others all look great, but how much have we seen them play at all, you know, outside of a carry or two? So, yeah, man, uh, that's going to be the, the big tale, I think, is is just running back and wide receiver. Like, what happens there on offense? Because everybody loves shaping for the most part that I've seen. It's almost unanimous. Uh, the offensive line, everybody raves about. Uh, tight ends, fantastic. Dabney looks bigger. Sims looks the part. But, yeah, who's catching and running the football most of the time? And that's what we do not have an answer to just yet. Yeah, and so I guess last note uh, from practices from this week, I think it's very clear that Baylor wants to find a way to get a pass rush with their front four. So there are three defensive linemen and then a jack. I think it's very clear that they, just from what I've seen, I don't think they want to blitz as much as they did a year ago. They will, but I think there's a part of me that thinks they want to, you know, maybe give safety to their coverage a little bit more than they did last year. You know, you could kind of put JT Woods on an island and play sideline to sideline and feel pretty good that his speed could kind of make up for any of the misses up front. I don't think they really have that. You know, Devin Neal's a good athlete, but I don't think he's JT Woods. And same with Devin Lemire. Athletically, they're good players, but just that speed is not something that's easy to replace. So, Just to me, I think they're going to want to try to find a way to get more consistent pressure up front to kind of take some of the pressure off of their secondary. And when I look around at the guys that they have, Garmin Randolph, this guy's going to blow up. He's going to break out. It's very obvious. His frame, kind of what he's doing on the field, how seriously he's been taking uh, spring and fall. I mean, playing through the club on his hand that he had to wear in the spring. It's very impressive. I think he's going to have a very, very good year and set himself up very nicely uh, in future years as well. You see Victor Obi, who looks really good. Jackie Marshall, Tony and Yanwu, like they're setting up the jack position to get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. And then you look at the depth on the defensive line, and those guys are massive. They look great. Gabe Hall looks like he could potentially take that you know, step to being an all-Big 12 type guy. Like He really does look like that. TJ Franklin taking a step, and then you got Apu in the middle. 
Um, I just think they're set to try to get more pressure up front, and I think they're going to, and it's going to be very important that they do. Because I think we saw stretches last year where we were like, man, this defense line's not getting much much pressure, and you're just seeing Trevor Bernard, Jalen Petrie go in and get all the sacks. But I think this year there's going to be a focus on the defensive line creating more of that pressure than last year. Well, they've definitely mentioned it themselves quite a bit, and mm-hmm. if they don't get pressure up front, then uh, this season's going a little sideways because they have to get pressure up front. Um, they're going to need to do that, and they don't have Jalen Petrie and Thrill Bernard to come and create a lot of that. So, yeah, I mean, that's going to be a must, and uh, you know I'm sure they'll have a lot of creative ways to get, to get it done ultimately. But, yeah, that's, that's something that Rand has been driving home since last year is creating more pressure up front. And now they would seemingly have the bodies to do that. They're depth at nose tackle, and I'm stealing a line from the article I'm midway <laughs> writing through which whatever, because I know not everybody's going to have that full crossover, but their depth at nose tackle, if you just took the guys who play nose tackle for them, you could line them up as a line, and they would be better than I think probably the majority of the Big 12. Yeah. Their yeah. nose tackles. Play Apu and Chidi. Yeah. Yeah. Throw them up there in a three-man front. That's pretty That's pretty good. I that's think that they good. could probably yeah. compete with a lot of teams. I yeah. mean, yeah, you said, but like – you know, and that's just, hey, that's a starting line. But, I mean, you look at the depth across the board, and they could go four deep right. uh, on the defensive line and, and be pretty solid at doing that. I mean, think about that for a moment where they were. You know, I, and I don't always like looking back, but I think sometimes it's good, especially when we're not in the heat of competition. We're still in the preseason here. And you think about just how deep they are on their lines and where so much of our time was spent talking about like the lack of having that and it's just just cool to see and so I'm super fired up about this D-line like the nose tackles will remain fresh pretty much the entire game because you'll be rotating three four guys at just nose tackle at nose tackle mm-hmm. like some schools can't find a nose tackle they've got like three and four guys they can rotate I yeah. mean that's Congrats to Dennis Johnson and Roberts and Aranda and everybody else that was involved in, in putting this depth together. Uh, staff's previous as well, but you know they, got, they trot Cole Maxwell out there yesterday for the media session. Like he's in store for a massive year, mm-hmm. and you know they like they did that, and they didn't even have like Jackson Player didn't speak to the media. Uh, I think they had T.J. Franklin, Cole Maxwell, and Braden Strauss. Like here's a walk-on turn scholarship player on the D line that they have as well. So. I, I could go on and on about their their depth there. It's pretty pretty impressive. Um, yep. So, anyways, uh, any any other notes that you want to touch on for you in the mailbag? You know, I just kind of just I, I think the only thing is just the environment has been very productive from what we've seen in there. They're very excited, and there's clearly a drive to try to build on what they did a year ago. I think Dave Aranda and this staff have done a great job keeping this team very excited and very ready to go out and repeat as Big 12 champs, and I don't think they're just going to sit back and expect anything. I just don't think that's the way this program has been built culturally, and I think that's a great thing. So everything I've seen, very encouraged by the drive, the work ethic, the energy, everything along those lines. And I know everyone's pumped for fall camp, but sometimes, you know, you can tell when it's a little bit flat. It has not been that way at all. No, I mean, I'm having to, like, be realistic about their road trips and also (laughs) about the fact that we just talked, like, we don't know you definitely feel better about the running backs and the wide receivers, but like we still don't know exactly what to expect out of those groups. And yeah, there are still, I guess, a couple questions about just where guys ultimately fall on the defense side of the ball. 
But, man, there's reasons to be excited. Like, there's way more reasons to be excited than to not be excited. And there's definitely not any reason to walk into McLean Stadium for game number one feeling flat. Like, they are very much going to compete for a Big 12 title. I don't know about, you know, playoff spot and all that. Because, again, that schedule. Like, if they had last year's schedule with this year's team, I'd probably be talking playoff. I really would. Um, and I'm not ruling that out, but I'm just not going to go there. It's just way too long to go until we start really getting into those conversations. They, I mean, they got to – prove some stuff in that first month of the season but I think everybody's excited and just trying to temper expectations now at this point do you agree with that yeah I think so I don't want to like I I don't want to really talk about it too much more because I feel like the more we talk about it the more we're (laughs) going to pump people's heads up I know and we've talked about having realistic expectations going into the year we've talked about a lot Mm -hmm. and you know the more that I sit back and kind of look at their schedule and everything it's still very very tough I still think I'm you know, I'm on the over. Like, they're going to win. They're going to be better than whatever their number's at, seven and a half. Like, they're going to be better than that. That's yeah, I'd been say, their over-under number. I'd say I'd feel really good about eight wins. Yeah. Like, I feel really good at them winning, going eight and four. Like, yeah, I think that's I'd their I'd feel four. really good about that. If, I'd be disappointed if they didn't right. at least go that, honestly. So, for me, it's more like those swing games on their schedule. Can they win them? Yeah. And, you know, overall, we've said this team... I think on paper, this team could be better than last year's team. They're going to be more explosive offensively. We'll see if they're close on defense. Yeah. Um, but overall, that doesn't mean the record's going to be the same. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I would say. I feel good about this team, but who knows if the record will indicate that. And that's where I've been pretty much all offseason. Yeah. It's just like that schedule scares me a little bit because it's just a lot. I mean, it's it's Austin. It's uh, Ames. It's... Uh, and it's not just, you know, it's it's Norman, it's uh, Lubbock, it, and it's not just all Saturday afternoons either. It's Thursday night, Friday night, you know, probably a Saturday night in there somewhere eventually. And that's just, yeah, I mean, it's just a grind, man, and you don't know how things are going to play out. Uh, but on paper, at full health, even though we just had the Khalil Keith talk, um, beyond that, uh, on paper, they are very much an eight-win or above team, uh, and I feel really good about that, I, almost to the point where, you know, certainly anything less than that is, is to me, going to be a disappointment, unless, like, you know, I, I was like, you know, something happens where you're like, okay, like, this is not mm-hmm. the full-meal deal, but, you know, full-meal deal, I, yeah, I fully expect this team to win eight games or more, and it's just a matter of how high they can really go and how much they can shock people on the road, uh, but... That's definitely you can tell already a focal point because Rand has made mention of the road a they couple have of times to be better now. On the road, they yeah, have to. They were not good on the road last year. It's the whole key yeah, to the season. Mm-hmm. It's the whole key to the season. Like that's the difference between them going seven and five and ten and two. Yeah, is is what they do on the road this year. Uh, so yeah, it's a uh, it's an exciting time trying to temper expectations somewhat, but it's hard when you're out there and you just see how again well oiled of a machine this program has turned into under Dave Aranda. It's uh, it's really fun to watch and uh, looking forward to them actually hitting the field in full form here at the, uh, I guess, beginning of next month into the into this month. But uh, anything for you in the mailbag? No, we got some good mailbag questions. I think we'll answer everything else. Yankee Bear, what's the latest on Khalil Keith? I'm growing concerned with the silence. Well, we, we finally got note. Colt posted on the board, so I'm sure you got your answer. And then we talked about it a little bit earlier. So, again, he's going to be out for the first month of the season, it seems. Um, but hopefully, and it seems everything's very optimistic that he will definitely be back during the 2022 season. Uh, he's just going to be out for a little bit of time. Do you feel Jordan Neighbors was adequately ranked coming out of high school? Why didn't more programs offer him? Um, I mean, he committed somewhat early. 
I would say is kind of the first thing. I do think he was underrated. I think his composite was like high 80s. I think he's more like a four-star, just his speed and um, the stats that he put up at Rockwall Heath. I, I think he's a very, very good player. Um, and a lot of schools were in on him, but he was committed pretty early to Baylor, and so there wasn't a whole lot of wavering. There weren't a whole lot of visits either, which is a big part in why he didn't get a couple more offers, I'm sure. Best surprise in early fall camp is the depth on the offense line and defensive line and really everywhere. They're yeah. very deep. And I think that's my best surprise. Especially, you know, the offense line, you always hear about the young guys and you kind of have your expectations for them coming in. But it's such a developmental position. You just never know which way a guy's going to go or how long it takes him to get it. But I think this Baylor staff has finally gotten to a place where, you know, I think they can probably go nine guys deep, which is a luxury. Yeah, and I'm telling you, those uh, young fellas, uh, Siraki and Ebiselli uh, in particular, are pretty big human beings. Yeah. They're pretty big human beings. When they're going there toe-to-toe and even kind of looking down on Connor Galvin a little bit, you're like, whoa, Nelly. And, like, those are the young ones. Yeah, and Elijah Ellis isn't as young by any means, but 6'6", 340. I mean, that's a huge human being as well. They just have big guys out there who look like they can really play. So you're right, though, that, that new class... They look good. George Maye out there, mm-hmm. Colton Price. They, they have some some intriguing young guys. Yeah, and uh, you got to love Eric Mateos. So, you know, the more he's got his hands on those guys and can develop them, uh, you feel pretty good. But, yeah, I, I'd say just seeing the, the depth and just seeing the confidence level, not that I expected them to not be confident, but you just don't know when they lose – you know, institutions, basically, like they lost a handful of guys. You know, it wasn't just losing one or two. They lost like six or seven guys that have been around for five years, yeah. you know. So it's just, it's you think it'd be a little bit different. There'd be a leadership void, and it doesn't really feel like there's there's much of one, which is great. Coach DeBroker, what's been the biggest difference in this start of this year's fall camp compared to those in the past, i.e. schedule, highlights, expectations, confidence, et cetera? I think it's cohesiveness of the program is kind of where I'm at. I just think everyone's on the same page. And I think there's no expectation that Dave Aranda could leave after this year. There's no speculation about this player, you know, going in the first round. It's just kind of like everyone has this same goal, this same thought process that everyone's going to be at Baylor for a really long time. And I think that builds cohesiveness, that builds leadership. And I think that builds, um, you know, just this relationship in the locker room that is very, very apparent. And to me, I don't think we've seen this in the past. It has everything to do with Dave Aranda. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think obviously there's going to be some coaching carousel watching on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, for sure. Jeff Grimes, Eric. I mean, everybody is going to be pursued sooner rather than later. Aranda. And, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you know, Grimes. I think for sure is going to be looking at some head coaching offers in the very near future, and probably some others as well for coordinator spots. I mean, so I, I did want to say, and I might write something about this. Like, really, truly enjoy this year because I do have a feeling it's going to change after this year. I mean, just qu- it's it's going to have to. It's too good to not yeah. to not change. Um, so really enjoy and embrace like this version of this staff and this team and you know this era and all that because man it's it's really good right now and so I think the biggest difference to me is just seeing like he said like the cohesiveness but yeah there's not a lot of speculation about one thing or another there's not like I mean you got to remember last year it wasn't even speculation about Aranda going anywhere it was is he good enough to be the coach here you know, it was, they were coming off of the COVID year that was not good. And we know that 
hey, some of those games, like they were half a healthy team and it's not their fault necessarily. And it was just a weird season, but he had a lot to prove last year. And now he's like the no brainer, like the next coach of the future. But I think that like he's different and more confident and it's his program and his claws are sunk in and, you know, he's doing it his way and the staff's all on board and they're all on the same page. And the ones that maybe weren't great fits or perfect fits or looked elsewhere, they came in there, replaced those guys. Like Dallas Baker's getting rave reviews. Chancey mm-hmm. Stuckey was well liked, but Dallas Baker's getting like awesome reviews yeah. from his receivers. Gavin Holmes said, like, this is the closest coach I've had since I've been here. It's different. Yeah, no, it's different. Yeah. For sure. That that was a great move. And, you know, I think that's just kind of across the board, it's sort of like that. So I just think the cohesiveness, the chemistry, the belief. The confidence they've are they don't they're not they're not those programs that are out there like this is what you have to do to win a Big Twelve title. They know what it takes and they know what to do because they've done it now. And I just think that that's just all encompassing just every part of the program. So there's just this belief and confidence and and knowing there that you know you don't quite have unless you got all the pieces fitting perfectly and you've gone out and had some success like they've had, and, and they know what it takes now. Right. So I, I just think that that's something that they've got that not a lot of other programs uh, have necessarily right now. Uh, Alpha Needle, are you smoking what Tim Brando is smoking, i.e. the Bears will win the Big 12 and be in the CFP? Um, let's answer uh, – yeah, go ahead and answer that first. I I think I'm I – I'm going to say no. Okay. I'm going to say no because of that schedule. I think I'm smoking that they can and – potentially will win the big 12 i'm i'm, I'm, on I'm in on that i'm in on that but yeah going unbeaten i'm not in on that i'm not in on that either they're not going unbeaten but could they go 10 and 2 or 11 and 1 go to the big 12 championship win the big 12 championship and hope and pray maybe i'm not bound i'm not banking on them making the cfp but i do think they i think they would be my pick to win the big 12 uh, after the I'm Brent Venab- after the Brent Venables firing of Kale Gundy, uh, yes, I would I would give them a little extra edge over Oklahoma, um, Oklahoma State. I, was, I think they're going to be good. I think they're going to be good, but I can't imagine losing Jim Knowles. Is just like even with Derek Mason, there's like going to be some drop off there. I would think, but I yeah, I do expect them to be good. But there's nothing about them. Don't tell me Spencer Sanders either that I'm supposed to be like oh no they're they're definitely better than Baylor. I don't think that. Um, I mean, Spencer Sanders lit up Notre Dame, who everyone was like, oh, oh come this on. Yeah, and he threw defense. 17 picks in two games against Baylor. It, so. Against Baylor, yeah. but I'm just saying, in that bowl game, he lit up. I know. Notre I'm just Dame. saying, like, I, he's not going to be the reason why I'm putting them over Baylor at this point. No, definitely not over Baylor, but a, over a couple other teams, yeah. Yeah, but like, we're talking about Baylor. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, he's not going to be, because I've been hearing that for five years now, or four years, right. whatever. My and, thing with them is they're just consistent. Like, they're, right. they're going to. In my mind, they're going to win nine games. Sure. So that I think that could put them in the Big Twelve Championship. And ten and two. Yeah. And there's always a chance that halfway through the season, Gundy says something stupid yeah. and they go completely off the rails. And they tank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a chance. It just history says they're they're going to win eight games. They sure. do it every year. I mean, that's I mean that's what it is. That's like tax day. You know. You know what's yeah. coming every it's single coming. year. But no, I I, I think. Um, I think Baylor, do I think they can make the playoff? Yes. Do I think that they will? No. Why? Because of the road schedule. Um, but do I think they can win the Big 12? Yes. And why? Because I think that they're one of the, they're arguably the best team in the conference on paper right now. And you could throw the Oklahoma schools there and you want to throw a surprise like K-State. But no, I'm, I'm definitely expecting to be squarely in contention for the Big 12. And beyond that, I, I don't know, but definitely a Big 12 championship. 
I'm with you. I think it's going to be hard to make the playoff this year. I just think there's going to be quite a few teams that I think are going to have one loss, which is going to make some things tough. Yeah, and you're not getting in as Baylor with more than one loss. You're no. just not going to, unless it's the craziest year of all time, and even then, I that'd be hard yeah. to do. Rank the following Baylor football teams from best to worst. 2013, 2014, 2015 prior to Seth Russell, 2019, 2021, and 2022. Yeah, this is this is always tough for me. So 2019 is last on this list for me. They just were not explosive enough offensively. Um, Even and, above this year's team or behind this year's team? Yeah, I think this year's team okay. would beat that team. Even though I love that team, everything they did, they won a lot of close games. Charlie Brewer is the worst quarterback of all the guys that were arguing, you know, going through. Um, so I have them last. I think I'm going to put 2013 Oh, gosh, this is so tough. I'm going to put 2013, 2014, the next two. And that's just because I think the 2021 defense was kind of set up to stop those type of offenses, even though I don't have confidence in Gary to score enough. But I think the defense will do enough. So I got 2021 and then 2022, and then my number one team is still 2015. Um I just think there was a talent level on the 2015 team, particularly on the defensive side that they hadn't had before. And I think Seth Russell was just kind of a difference maker with his legs. And so I think it would have given Baylor some problems, much like Chandler Morris gave them some problems last year. Um, so yeah, 2015, 2022, 21, 14, 13, 2019. Okay. Okay. My tough area is that 21, 14, and 13. Yeah, I was going to say, that's Gary. my only issue is... Uh, it's Gary. That's the difference for me. Yeah. That's the hard... No, not the difference. That's the hard part for me in ranking them ahead of 13 and 14. But I don't know that 13, 14 could stop them from running the football. That's, <laughs> that's the only thing. Yeah, they were just so talented, though. Some of the skill they positions were, I know, were so yeah. ridiculously good those years. And that's, yeah, that's but where I'm kind of like. But then you're facing JT and Petrie and Bernard, like a really good defense as well. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah, it, it is tough. Uh, I'll just go roll with what Grayson said and, and kind of like that one part there that we just clarified. Um, yeah, I'd have to probably stew on that a little bit more because those were just, I mean, those are the the originators really yeah. when you think about this thing and got the ball really rolling with the big 12 titles. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting question. Hopefully uh, throw that out there to a bunch of other people can have fun with that alpha needle. But yeah, I think I'll roll with Grayson's version for now because otherwise I'm going to talk about it for like the next hour um, and, and debate it, but it's a fun debate to have and it's a good group of teams here over the last uh, decade or so. Are you on board with 15 as number one? Would that uh, be your number one? Uh, it says pre Seth. Injury. Yeah, so it's not including what you did if you won a bowl game. It's just at your best. We didn't I get, don't know. I could debate that too, know, like quite frankly. Because we didn't get to see them against the best teams in the conference yeah. either. Yeah, oh gosh. It's hard. I just think at their peak they were crazy. They were yeah, they were pretty good. I mean, wasn't that Xavier Howard and Corey Coleman and um, Yeah, and then KD, older KD, KD. You yeah. had Seth Russell. You had the best offensive line they had in a while. Johnny best, Jefferson. You had Billings, you had the best defensive line with Oakman. Um issue with them is is again they didn't play the best part of their schedule but on the flip side they crushed oklahoma state with chris johnson they barely lost oklahoma with a broken back jared stidham they you know ran for a million yards in the russell like bolt like fumbled away a win against texas with no quarterback yeah 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 that was a frustrating year um but yeah that was a pretty good team that never got to really throw its whole weight out there yeah. 
uh, like because the, of the quarterback injuries. The rain game against TCU, they're absolutely oh, yeah. let's, winning Let's that not game talk about that year Seth. anymore. That was I a mean, long time just ago. Uh, tough. Yeah, no, uh, that that's definitely a team that you look back on and you could do like a whole podcast yeah. on their yeah. just trials and tribulations. But, yeah, I mean, for the sake of time, uh, we'll roll with that. But, yeah, certainly that, that could be debated again maybe in the future because uh, that 2015 is, is interesting. Uh, Scotty P, the Baylor King, other than the transfer portal on the offensive and defensive lines, the class of 23, do you see any other needs through the transfer portal? Ooh, um, yeah, the defensive line, they really need a nose tackle. That's like the position that I'm circling that they absolutely will need because I think Apu's going to be gone after this year, and then you pretty much only have Trey Emery because Chidi's going to be gone too, and player's going to be gone. I mean, so <laughs> you're kind of, who's going to play that? It's Trey Emery, so they're going to need somebody at nose. Outside of that, um, I think it, the hard part for me is I think I need to sit back and watch this year. Because, I mean, if Tay McWilliams doesn't pan out, Squirrel doesn't pan out, they'll probably need a running back. If the wide receivers don't step up and live up to expectations, they'll probably need a receiver. Um, if they don't have a safety, who steps up? They're going to need a yeah. safety. So well, I would say I need to watch this year first. Yeah, let's get this year. Yeah. Let's look at this year going before we get into the next year, the transfer portal. But I understand where you're coming from, Scotty. But, yeah, that's, that's a lot to answer before we get into those questions. But there are at least a couple that we can – can list off and, and Grayson did that. Who do you think takes over the spot for Khalil Keith to start on the O line? Whoever takes the spot, I have confidence in the depth. Yeah, I I'm gonna go with Elijah Ellis just because Dave Aranda mentioned him at Big Twelve Media Day specifically. And so I think there's high expectations for him. So I'll roll with him for now. Uh Bear Love eighty nine, who will start the season at the top of the depth chart at will and who will end the season as the number one will? Man, this is such a tough question. Um I really think it's gonna be Josh White or Matt Jones. Uh issue with Will Williams is I think he's going to be more more so utilized in specific packages. I don't think he's going to be the starter at will. I don't think they want to give up that much size at the position on a every down basis. Um so then it's Matt Jones or Josh White. I think this just strictly my opinion. I think Matt Jones will be the starter because he's older and because Dave Rand and the staff trust him. He's been there longer. He knows everything. He should be good. Um, but I think Josh White's a better player. I think that Josh White kind of complements uh, Dylan Doyle better because he's more athletic. Um, that speed, I think, would translate really well to this defense. And so I think by the end of the year, I think it could be Josh White's job. But I do think at the beginning, they'll give Matt Jones the first crack at it. Uh, I'm excited to see Matt Jones. I think they're going to have fun with him this year. Yeah. Um, and, and him in the backfield uh, quite a bit is what I'm expecting to see, right. just flying around and making plays. Uh, Mikey, what grade would you give our position coaches? Ooh. Something along the lines of F being worst FBS coach to A <laughs> being top 10 caliber for the position. So let's fly through this here. All right, Dave Aranda. A. Uh, a. Jeff Grimes. A. A. Ron Roberts. A. a. Uh, Dallas Baker. A. Uh, Need to prove it. I'd probably give him a B right now. Yeah, I'd say like a C plus or yeah. a B, just because it's a it's really it's a TBD is what yeah. it is. Uh, Sean Bell, uh, B, B, yeah. Although what he did with Gary was pretty. Yeah, famous. I mean it might yeah. be higher than that. It might be higher than that, but yeah, um, B for right now. Let's see shaping out there. But right. I feel pretty good about that, uh, and feel pretty good. Sean will probably be an A by and, the end and of the recruiting. Year. Austin Novosad, that's a big deal as well. Yeah, if we get recruiting into the mix, yeah, then that's yeah, a whole other thing. Uh, Caleb Collins. Uh, TBD, but I'll give him a, a C plus B right now. I'll give him a B. Uh, I think when he came in, they didn't skip a beat at all last year. I mean, I know it's towards the tail end, but uh, right. he hasn't. It, 
they didn't coach a ton. You know what I mean? Like he hasn't he hasn't coached for a long time at that position, so yeah. it's just hard. Kevin Curtis. Um I probably again, I, I you know, it's probably you know a B. I mean he coached them, they played well enough. I wouldn't say cornerback was great, but no, it wasn't my favorite group no. to watch necessarily, but yes, B B minus. I like. I don't know. I don't, he didn't really. They weren't a bad group. No. Um, they weren't a stupendously great group. Um, yeah, B is is fine. Uh, Dennis Johnson, I like Meatball a lot. What he's done with defensive line, I'll give him B plus with those guys. Yeah, uh, I think B plus or an A uh, is is good for Dennis Johnson. Uh, Justin Johnson. Oh man, Juice did a great job with those running backs. I think he's probably an A. Yeah, he's done an awesome job. Yeah, I think in hindsight, uh, Dennis Johnson is is definitely a B-plus on the verge of an A, if not an A. And then Justin Johnson, I'd say A, yeah. yeah. Eric Mateos, A. A-plus. Uh, yeah, A-plus. Uh, Ronnie Wheat. Uh, don't know much yet. Um, I don't know enough at all he, to know yeah. a grade right he's now. He's TBD as well, so, you know, whatever. C-plus, B is just a placeholder. Yeah, um, and that's it. Uh, everybody else is peripheral staff, yeah. but everybody's pretty much a B or an A. I think all of them are, uh, as a matter of fact, and, or a TBD. But it's a really great group. And, again, I would just say, and I, I'm not speculating or indicating anything. I'm just common sense. They're not going to be able to keep the staff together for 10 years. Uh, no. uh, so enjoy this group and enjoy you know the way it's assembled because there's a lot of future head coaches and like coordinators on this staff and I'm sure some of them will probably be that, you know, like a coordinator at Baylor eventually or whatever the way it works out. But, uh, man, it's it's a really great group of coaches and recruiters. It really is. So enjoy this season uh, with the, with this group. Stifler's mom, we had 44 sacks last year as a team. What's your guess as to that number this season? I think it'll be around 40. I think, I think they – I think Dave Randa puts an emphasis on that. So I, I do think they'll find a way to get to around 40. And, uh, yeah, I mean, somewhere in that vicinity, um, I think is, is more than fair to expect. And, you know, I definitely think that it's going to be different because it's not going to be Terrell Bernard and Jalen Petrie and a lot of those, but I think Matt Jones is going to be involved. I think that D line is going to be Bryson way Jackson. more heavily involved. Bryson Jackson will be involved. So, I mean, they could, they could blow past that 44 really. Yeah, um, but they yeah, they should definitely be in the vicinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and final question. Thank you, Stifler's mom. The Baird Inn, when will Armani Winfield be starting for Baylor? How? Oh, um, I think at some point this year he'll get a start. I can't tell you what game. I don't think week one he'll be the starting wide receiver. I still think that'll probably be Hal Presley and Josh Cameron on the outside with Monterey in the slot. That's my guess right now. That's my expectation. But I do think at some point he'll probably draw a start. Yeah, I could see him. I mean, again, they have nothing to – to show as far as proven wide receiver depth right now. I right. mean, it's all just speculation on those wide receivers, even Gavin Holmes. I mean, he's been around, but we have no idea what to really ex- expect mm-hmm. from him. So, I mean, your your guess is as good as anybody else's, but I would definitely assume that he will get a look at, at some point sooner rather than later, um, and definitely at some point during the, the season I would anticipate you know, seeing him in the lineup, but uh, it's up for like it's the, the single digits thing I wrote about. They're not making it a whole big thing like rule. It's just going to be like, hey, if you want number six, uh, Armani, then go earn number six, and you might have to beat out Hal Presley for it. But you know, it's a competition that's just drives you both. But um, basic point being, it's all there for the taking for these wide receivers. 
you want it, go get it. And if they don't get it, then it's on them. And it's really that simple. Uh, same thing with the running backs and, and really anybody on this team, but those groups in particular, but especially wide receiver. Because at least with running back, you can go, okay, you got Tay, you got um, Squirrel, and you can mm-hmm. st- kind of start there. But with receivers, where do you start? Right. That's the hard part. Right? <laughs> where do you, you start? Because even Gavin's like a, a wild card. Yeah. And he <laughs> should be your, like, your automatic like veteran wide receiver, but you're like, I don't know. And yeah, don't even know if he'll play much. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a it's a big question, no doubt. And that's what's kind of somewhat preventing me from going just all in on, you know, titles and everything like that in addition to the schedule. But uh, they've still got some time to figure it out. And, man, the mood over there is pretty good right now <laughs> as we've been relaying. So uh, looking forward to seeing more of that later on this afternoon and, and throughout the next couple of weeks. But I do thank all of you that submitted questions for the podcast this week, and hopefully you – uh, we're satisfied with the answers you received. Uh, we do appreciate those of you who contribute uh, in that way when you do, although it's not expected every week. But whenever you have a question, go ahead and fire it into uh, that thread that Grayson will post uh, each week prior to the podcast uh, inside the premium section of Sikkim365.com. I wanted to mention one more thing that I saw a second ago, and I don't know what this is about or what it means or anything like that, um, but Jordan Jenkins – uh, said, going to drop some huge NIL tomorrow that involves our whole team. We'll need Ooh. Baylor Nation's support. Eyes emoji, bear emoji, hashtag sick em. And I haven't seen anybody else tweet anything like that. And he also adds, we'll need Baylor Nation support. So I don't know what that means. I de- it doesn't sound like it would be like the SMU deal that right. just popped, that just overshadowed the tech deal that happened, which mm-hmm. I guess toppled the Miami deal that happened, which top you yeah. know, it's like a whole thing. Um but, hey, uh, that'll be interesting to see whatever that's about. Uh, mm-hmm. So there you go, a little teaser there that uh, we will find out soon enough. Um, but certainly, uh, if they could put together some, some new – I mean, I know they've been doing some NIL stuff behind the scenes, open doors, they've got the platforms and all that, but uh, that'll be interesting to find out what that is. So uh, we'll talk about that on next week's podcast if it's worthwhile. Uh, until next time, for – Grayson, uh, anything you got before we go? No, just be sure, you're, you know, if you're not a Sikkim 365 Premium subscriber, do so. Uh, listen to 365 Sports Radio Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 as well. Tons of good content on both and definitely something you don't want to miss. So be sure to check those out. We also have the Bearcast, which will be up later on this afternoon, which we're finishing right now. Yeah, and we'll uh, be talking some Big Ten TV deal and what that means, even though there's not any details out just yet, but it will certainly have an effect on realignment and the Big 12. So uh, a lot coming down the pipeline, a lot of mysteries to solve as well. But until next time, thanks to all the good folks behind the scenes, Gary Ross producing, thanks to Grayson, and thanks to you for listening. This is the BearCast on Sikkim 365, Radio Sikkim365.com. <laughs>